What an incredible segue to this message. Like I could just completely fail today and we've got enough worship to last us a lifetime. We were actually joking in the back uh, and by we, I mean the guys were making fun of me and they were like, hey, you could just invite Megan and, and Bethany and the team to just do their worship set three more times, you know, and, and you don't even have to teach today. And so thank you, Brad and Michael for that. Um, but hey, good morning. How's everyone feeling? Are we a little bit more awake than, you know, 25 minutes ago when Brad asked, that's good, that's good, coffee's hit, okay, that's good, I have had no caffeine today, um, it was not the play, but uh, I chose water instead, I chose the healthier route for now, um, but don't worry, when I have Chipotle for lunch, I will get Diet Pepsi, and so, well, hey, uh, good morning and welcome to Crossbridge, if this is your first time visiting, my name is Jordan, I am our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here at C3, and have just the privilege of continuing our conversation the curse of comfort. And if you are watching online, let us know in the chat, and then I want to give you just an uncomfortable next step in the chat. Just uh, comment down below, but then also comment on somebody else's post um, and, and just, you know, engage in the conversation because the whole idea of what we're here to do in person online is just worship in community and, and gather together to learn together, to worship together and, and take next steps in the midst of the discomfort, whatever that might look like for you and in your life. But... But I'm really excited about today and excited about, about this series and about where we're at and where we're headed. And, and Brad last week kicked us off walking us through 2 Samuel chapter 7. And kind of the basis for this series is really just focusing on that one word of comfort. And it's a word that for some of us, we start to cringe. In fact, according to an article by LinkedIn, 98% of people hate stepping out of their comfort zone in America. 98% of people hate stepping out of their comfort zone in America. And, and that's probably a, a pretty accurate statistic where if, if once you get your kind of bubble and your hemispheres figured out and where you are in life, you start to realize like, yeah, I don't necessarily like to be stretched. And, and no one really enjoys like suffering or, or being stretched or being uncomfortable. That's why it's uncomfortable and, and discomfort and suffering. You're not supposed to necessarily enjoy it, but there are benefits to it. And when you look at all of the different individuals that God uses from Genesis to Revelation, you're able to see that they were required to step through their discomfort to be able to be used by God. But then the brain also confirms this, and neuroscience shows us that there is a part of your brain that only releases dopamine when you experience something new and fresh and life-giving. And so if you want to experience something different from a neuroscience standpoint, experiencing the new adventures and allowing yourself to be stretched is required. And so there's benefits all around from stretching yourself and stepping through your discomfort to experience what God has in store for you. And so this conversation is so important, but one that often when we get into our comfort zone, it's difficult for us to be convinced that there is benefit outside of that parameter. And so what we're doing throughout this series is we're going to look at the life of David. And Brad kicked us off last week talking about just kind of setting us up when David in the first half of his life, which is the life that we are more aware of when he slays Goliath and he's called at a very, very young age that he's going to become king. 
But then he has to wait a couple of decades before he actually replaces King Saul. And so he ends up in that time slaying a giant and, and uh, going to battle and becoming the king's personal assistant and then becoming one of the greatest generals of the Israelite army and doing thing after thing after thing. And, and he's quoted as being known as a man after God's own heart. It's this, it's this powerful image we have of David. But that's not the only image of David. In fact, I would argue that there is a more important image of David, a more human-like image that many of us can relate to, and that's the center of David, and that is the comfort of David, and that is the struggle that David had. And we start to see this struggle take place as soon as he becomes king and he enters the palace and he starts to become a little bit more comfortable. However, something we want to point out throughout this series is that the, uh, the thing to know about David's life is it's not like he just inherited the kingdom and then he just got lazy. That's not what happened. David didn't just enter the palace and then started sipping mimosas and like having double chicken at Chipotle. Like that wasn't King David's life, okay? He actually, between chapter 7, which is what Brad talked about last week, and chapter 11 and 12, which is what we're looking at today, he goes back to battle, he stretches himself. He goes back to do what he was best at, which is fighting. And, and he was a warrior after God, chasing after God's uh, desire for his kingdom. And so the whole point of this series isn't to encourage you to always be uncomfortable and always be on the go, okay? Because that is unhealthy and illogical. But the point of this series is to show you that when you are in position of comfort, or when you are in moments or experiences or, or, or seasons of where it is very comfortable, you are more susceptible to selfish living. And so we're challenging us to not necessarily live an uncomfortable life 24-7, but in the moments of our comfort to ask ourselves the question, am I living selfishly? Am I living selfishly? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. The title of the message for today is Confrontation or Confronting the Ugly. Confronting the Ugly. And it's going to be a heavier message today where we're going to challenge you to look into your own life and ask God to expose in you the ugly. And that's not permission if you are married to look at your spouse. That's, you know hypothetically speaking, that won't end well. However, it is permission for you to look into your own heart and say, okay, God, where is the ugly that needs to be exposed? And how do you um, help me transform my heart from this? So this is a heart transformation message. And it's going to be really important if you lean in that you can hopefully take some next steps with it as well. Confronting the ugly. Uh, if you want to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12 on whatever device, it will also be on the screen. That's where we're going to be today and then also Psalm 51. While you're turning there, however, I do want to recap 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's one of the uh, better known stories of the life of King David, but we just don't have time to walk through all of it. So I'm just going to recap it real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 11 uh, starts out by actually saying, King David, in the time of spring, when kings go off to war, King David stayed home. So he stayed home, he stayed in the palace, and that's part of the comfort. You know, he's supposed to be out to battle, but he chose to stay home this time. He ends up lusting over Bathsheba, taking advantage of her, impregnating her, and then trying to covering up his sin. He murders her husband, Uriah, which was one of his top dogs. 
And so you've got this David that you've grown up believing in, this king, this warrior, this man after God's own heart who covets, commits adultery, and murders all in the sequence of just a couple of hours, a couple of days. Really heavy stuff. And it started with because King David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He saw something he wasn't supposed to see, which led him to do something he wasn't supposed to do, and it impacted a lot of people. It ruined Bathsheba's life. It ruined Uriah's life. There were also other soldiers who were slain at the front where King David summoned Uriah to go so that he would be killed, and it impacted David's life. And the last verse of 2 Samuel chapter 11 is what David did, or, or, or God was displeased with David. Because of what David did, God was displeased. And so here's the first takeaway just from that story is this, is that comfort tempts compromise. Comfort tempts compromise. It doesn't cause compromise, but it tempts it. And perhaps you have heard the saying, don't give up what you want most for what you want now. If you're on a diet and you're trying to get healthier physically, that cookie looks real good, but you're not going to give in to this moment now because you have goals. If you're trying to increase your time alone with God and your, and your awareness of the Holy Spirit working in your life, yes, that 15 minutes of extra sleep in the morning looks attractive, but don't give up what you want most just because you want to sleep in a little bit now. And it works with goals, it works with dreams, it works with visions, but it also works with our values. And it's challenging us to say, hey, comfort tempts us to compromise our values. And that's what we saw David do. And he committed a really terrible sin because of it, multiple sins because of it. And it displeased the Lord. He was disappointed. He was hurting. And that's where we pick up this chapter in 2 Samuel chapter, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 12, the story where God sends Nathan, just like in 2 Samuel chapter 7 with Brad's message last week, God sends Nathan to confront David. This is what he says. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had bought, or sorry, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. I want to stop there. Because in first service, I learned it's not ewe lamb. It's you. And I'm doing my best, Ashton. And so now I want to raise a hand. Am I the only one who thought that was Yui or anyone else with me? I got Scotty. I don't need any of you. I've got Scotty, okay? So then I was going to make a joke. Uh, Derek, you were supposed to laugh there. Wow. See, so then I was going to make a joke. It's like the ooey pooey lamb. I was going to say it like completely different this time. Like ooey lamb and, and just make Brad laugh. You see, someone's got to keep, keep Brad like have some energy in his life because he's getting a little bit like, you know. And so sometimes I got to say things the wrong way so that we can laugh about it later on. And I'm okay being the scapegoat. It's scapegoat, right? Who knows? Okay, back to <laughs> the Scott, the Scott goat. Oh, man, this is why you wanted to come to second service. This is prime Jordan. No caffeine. He just ran a race yesterday. It is prime time Jordan right here. Oh, man, I don't even know what verse we're on. Uh, but the poor man. All right, 
we'll, we'll repeat verse three because I want to say the word again. But the poor man had nothing except one little ooey lamb. Swing and a miss. <laughs> uh, he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, Nathan says, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. And so if anybody ever gives you hackle for loving your dogs that way, letting your dog sleep in your bed, it's biblical. Okay, it's biblical. Verse 4, now a traveler came to the rich man, Nathan tells David. But the rich man had refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, the rich man took the ooh lamb. <laughs> I'd like to say that was an accident or that was on purpose, but it wasn't. Brad, this is all your fault. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but the, instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then as we read verse 7, I want you to kind of reflect on and hear um, the anger, the frustration, the grief, the pain that is coming and that God is speaking through Nathan as he's, in, as he's just grieving what David had done. Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, David, you are the man. This is the, what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and then took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites, verse 10. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. But I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. I want to stop there for a second. Um, you've got this just, just really heavy situation of David's sin. It, it's, it's evil. It, I mean, he commits sin after sin after sin. And then God, I love how chapter 12 starts. It starts with verse 1 saying, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Which just goes to prove and to show us that no matter what we do, like God's still going to give us chances, chance after chance. And he sends his people, community, to help restore and to help transform our hearts and our lives and our sin. And it, it causes me to reflect on takeaway number two of this story is this, is that compromise beckons confrontation. Compromise beckons confrontation. I mean, it don't, don't just look over this passage. It is so significant that David sinned and then was confronted by another person of God. I mean, that's what the beauty of the church and the beauty of community is all about. Why we're so, why we have been pushing this year for 2022, pushing you to grow closer with people because you can hold one another accountable. And that's who Nathan was for David. 
And God used Nathan to go and confront the ugliness of, of just a few days prior of what David had done and taken part of. Sorry, a few, it's actually been a couple months now, but had just taken prior in, the, in this deep, in this, this heavy sin, evil sin. And so David has a choice. Really, it's two choices. He can either, A, accept the words of the Lord, lean into the conviction, or what many of us do with confrontation, he can choose to get defensive. And this is King David's response. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. I want to stop there just for a second. You see, David, um, in verse 13, it's really just a good reminder, is he's confronted, and, and King David is at the top of the world. I mean, this is sort of where King Saul, his king prior to David. Saul's the opposite of King David, where we know Saul for all of his worst years, and we know King David for all of his best years. But King Saul, there was a time when he was a man after God's own heart, and where God even had thought of King Saul as possibly being the one to restore Israel. But then Saul started to get frustrated and prideful and angry, and it led to his downfall. And that's where we know most of his years and his, and his good years, I guess, were his evil years. And so David, once again, he's kind of heading down that same path of King Saul, where it's sin after sin after sin, but he chooses to lean into the conviction of what Nathan does, where he has this choice, and that's takeaway number three. Confrontation leads to conviction or defensiveness. And I just, I'm convinced that most of us, whether we like confrontation or not, most of us, when we are being confronted, our natural response is to become defensive. I know that's the case for me. I know that's the case for many of the people I talk to. And, and the reason being is because pride is so much easier of a response than humility. It's easier to respond, to respond in a prideful way because it requires less work. If you're going to choose a humble response, whether it's listening or approach, humility requires action. Pride just requires you to boast yourself up. It's pretty easy to believe that you've got it all figured out. And that's why it's so ugly and why confrontation can be so terrifying. Because somebody saw the ugliness that most times we've already seen in ourselves. Now, granted, a lot of times we don't handle confrontation in a healthy way. Because it requires as much humility to approach and to confront people as it does to receive that confrontation. But we can learn from the life of David, who again was at the top of his world. He really, he had it all. God had given him everything he could have ever wanted. And he still chose to listen to Nathan. And here's what I love. Maybe you didn't know this. After this confrontation happens... Like immediately after this, David goes perhaps to his study, perhaps to, um, to, to the mountains, wherever, and he pens Psalm chapter 51. This is one of the most famous psalms um, that a lot of us have quoted or, or pictures of or canvases of in our house. And, and what I, it's, it's one of the most famous psalms, but 
I didn't even recognize at the time that this was written directly after this confrontation. And this is Psalm 51. I want to read what David's thinking, what he's feeling. And this is kind of his response to that. He says this, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, God. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. I love that imagery. Verse 9, hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. And then one of the most popular verses in Scripture, verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And I want to stop there for a second. I just want you to picture, like, that verse becomes so much more powerful when you recognize that it was written directly after this sin with Bathsheba and this confrontation. Like, that's what David's feeling. It's not like David, like, holier than thou at the top of his game and he's writing, like, like oh, the good Christian asking for God to expose again. No, it's like, this is David at his worst. And he's saying, God created me a pure heart. Expose the ugly. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. I don't want you to miss those two verses. Um, and David, you can go back to verse 12. Uh, everyone, can you give it up for Dave, Dave Delamarter? Clapping, yeah. This is Dave's first Sunday running slides, and he got put on me, and that is a task. I don't know. I mean, you guys might think that, like, I got it up together. Uh, I've got it all together up here. I, well, I hope you don't think that, because I don't. But, I, but if, you're run, if you ever want to know how bad it is, just run slides when Jordan's teaching. I, I have you all over the place. So we're going back to verse 12. But, but catch what David says here, okay? He says, Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. First, again, it's inward work that it has to begin with. It's life, it's heart transformation, life transformation. If we want to change the world, it's got to start with us asking God to change our hearts. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Create in me this pure heart and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that even sinners will turn back to you. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. And then verse 17, one of my favorite verses from the chapter. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. I want to stop there. I love that response from David. Okay, he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't pretend to have it all, to know it all, to, 
to uh, just kind of bypass the weight of his sin. No, he approaches it, and then this is his response to God. He said, create in me a pure and a new heart, steadfast, renew my energy, renew my passion for you to get my life back on track. So with all that in mind, I want to finish the story in 2 Samuel chapter 12. See what happens with Nathan still. So David has this change of heart, and then verse 14. This is what Nathan says through God to David. But because by doing this, David, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. And he would not eat any food with them. And then the verses to follow the son born to David and Bathsheba does end up dying. And those aren't verses we usually like to read when we're thinking about God, they're heavy verses. We like to associate God with love and with mercy, but not necessarily justice or judgment or punishment. We serve a just God. And here's something I want you to know and understand about the context of what's happening, okay? David is living under a different covenant agreement than we are today. David is living under the Old Covenant, which was a covenant in the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible, that God made with Israel alone. That said this, Israelites, if you do A, you will receive B. So if you sin, you will be punished justly and equal to that sin you commit. But the reverse was also true. If you live a faithful life, you will be blessed based on your faithfulness. And so all David had received up to this point, the palace, the wealth, the women, the, 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 the cattle, the life he had was a blessing from God as a direct result of his faithfulness. But the reverse was also true in this covenant. Because David had sinned and taken the life of Uriah, the punishment for David was for him to lose his son. Now friends, you don't have to like that. You can let that churn in you in an ugly way because it doesn't make sense to us because we're under a different covenant, different time period. But the God we serve is the same. The covenant we're under is this. Jesus was sent to be our sacrifice. And so the new covenant says this, Jesus receives A, so now you live B. Jesus receives our punishment And our punishment was placed on Jesus' back when he was on the cross. And so because of the freedom we have, and because of the forgiveness we have, we now serve, we now give, we now love. We don't do those things to earn blessing because that's not what happens. We don't live in that covenant anymore. And so no, you didn't lose your loved one because you sinned. That's not the covenant you're under. That's not how God works anymore. Same God, different covenant. However, here's takeaway number four, because this is still so true and so crucial, and I don't want you to miss this. Conviction or not, 
there are still consequences for our sin. And 99% of those times, those consequences are caused by our sin. It's not God punishing you and taking your loved one because of your sin. That's sometimes just life. But there are still earthly consequences for our actions. There are still things that we have done that hurt other people. There are still things that we have done and sinned that hurt us directly. It's like I talked about a couple weeks ago. Pornography and, and, and the idea of lust has permanent damage on our brain. Part of that is a consequence of being addicted to pornography. And that goes the same with any addiction. It doesn't mean that you can't find healing. It doesn't mean that there isn't grace. It just means that there are still consequences. Just like, just like David did. He sought after forgiveness. He had a change of heart. But there were still consequences. And that's the same that's true with us today. Just want to recap those four ideas. Number one, comfort tempts compromise. Number two, compromise beckons confrontation. Number three, confrontation leads to conviction or defensiveness. And number four, and this one, don't, don't be hurt by this or upset by this. Understand that this is part of our sinful heart is that uh, conviction or not, there are still consequences for our actions. So friends, here's what I want you to do. Here's kind of two next steps for this message. Because it's a heavier message, it's calling out the ugly, it is confronting the ugly, it is requiring us to say, hey, you know what? Our sin is our obligation to take, um, we have to take ownership for our sin. We can't keep blaming other people for our choices. And so here's two next steps I want to give you this week. Just like Brad last Sunday gave us the next step of waking up and before we pick up our phone, before we go to work, before we have a conversation, praying with open hands, God, lead me. I surrender my life to you. Have your will, not mine. It's a, it's a bold prayer for our days. This week, I want to give you two next steps. First one's a prayer and the second one is to process something. The prayer is this, the 5110, the Psalm 5110 prayer. I want you to wake up every day and say, and, and pray what David prayed. God created me a pure heart. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. It's a bold prayer. And I'll let you know right now, if you pray this with a humble heart, it will expose the ugly. The ugliest parts of your life, it might bring you back things that you haven't healed from or sought forgiveness from. But it is such a good and important prayer for us to step through our comfort and pray this prayer, okay? Next step, number two. I think it's so crucial that we have Nathans, or if you're a female, a female prophet, Deborah. If we have Nathans and Debras in our life who we have given full permission to confront us on our ugliness with. I love how God sends someone in his community, in David's community, to go confront David. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Find someone or give someone permission if you're married different from your spouse. It is so important you confront your spouse, honestly. But I think that even then there is a lens that your spouse sees you through. I think it's important to have friends or other close family members who have permission to call out your ugly. 
you're you're inward ugly. You might have siblings or friends who are like, hey, you look ugly today. Like, thanks. I dressed after you. And so, you know, uh, so, so have friends, seek friends or family members and give someone permission to be that Nathan or Deborah. And I promise you, friends, it will change your life. Will you pray with me? Holy God, oh, you're so good. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given us to be our advocate and to intercede for us in our grieving when our words are too deep and we can't even express what we're feeling. But Lord, we invite you into our lives to create in us through your Spirit and convict in us through your Spirit and our friends how we should live for you. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. You know, I just want to clear one thing up is that Jordan really is not our scapegoat around here. Okay. He's actually our scapegoat. And uh, <laughs> you set yourself up, brother. <laughs> oh, no. Hey, seriously, good stuff. And uh, I think one of the great challenges is, is having a Nathan in your life. And, uh, you know, I have those people in my life that have full access that can tell me anything. I don't like to hear it most times. I ignore it most times. But there is, you know, a time. Jordan is one of those people. And I can always tell when I'm going down the wrong path when he tells me, Brad, just take a breath. Okay? And, and then there's truth coming. And sincerely, if we're going to live the life that, that Jesus called us to do, we need those kind of people in our lives. And I hope that you find one. That's a, a great next step for us. Hey, uh, real quick, I have a, a family moment for us, and uh, we do this from time to time, just kind of give you updates, let you know what is happening around uh, the church and things like that, and I, I get to talk about money today. Who's excited about talking about money? Exactly, oh, the three of you, that's great. Here's, here's the good thing is, it's a good, it's a good thing, and uh, we are doing great uh, as far as budget and things like that. I've got a lot of other pastor friends who are struggling right now and praying for them, but we just have not had that issue because of you. Because of your generosity, because of your continued giving and support, we have not missed a beat. We continue to do ministry. We keep stretching our ministries. Uh, we've come alongside people in need, help them in, in situations that you'll never hear about. But I want you to understand that because of your giving, uh, we are able to come alongside families who are in need, who are hurting, and we're able to bless them in, in their time. And we've been able to be the church because of you. So thank you so much for that. And we just appreciate your continued uh, support with that. Now, the other thing is, if you remember, about, I don't know, about a year ago or so, we were just praying, saying, hey, God, what's next for us? Where, where are you calling us? What are you doing? And, and we just felt this urge that God was saying, you need to reach the next generations. The next generations coming up is so important with our kids, our, that's over in Bridge Kids, our youth, youth and, and what they're facing in the culture and things today. We said, it is so important for us to be prepared as a church. To even, I tell you, even for some of us older folks, you know, to, to say, hey, you know what? This isn't about us. It's not about what we like. It's not about the, the things that we want. We want to make sure that we reach the next generation. We started the Next Gen Initiative, and that was to pay off our debt because we said in the future we want to be a debt-free church so that we can, we can do everything we can. We can pour all of our, our resources into to doing ministry as however it changes in the future. And, and you guys have stepped up with that, and so thank you. That has continued to come in, and I just wanted to let you know where we are. We started saying we're going to pay off the debt that we had left on this building, the expansion and all the technology and things. Started at $80,000. We're down to $21,000 right now. So, yeah, amazing stuff. We are, we are on target uh, for the rest of the year to, to add at least another $9,000. So that will make it down to $12,000 left on this building. And I just believe that we can pay it off by the end of the year. 
And so we would just love, yeah, I would love for you just to, to pray and ask. Maybe you haven't been. Maybe you've, you're newer here and you didn't know about the Next Gen Initiative. You can go onto the app, our giving platform, uh, website, what have you, and start giving to that just as God prompts you. And, and I believe that we can come out and pay the first loan off, and then we can start tacking the next one. And uh, just some really cool stuff. So thank you for, again, your continued support. We are making a difference uh, because of your generosity, and we're just going to continue, and we're going to push you a little bit in that, so there you go. I also want to remind you that after this series, we're going to do the next series uh, is called Be Rich, and we're going to be talking about money and serving in that in that uh, series, and what we're going to do is we're actually going to make a special collection, not you know, the next gen, not general fund. We're going to continue that. We're going to ask you above and beyond is to go out and stretch yourselves one more time, and just let's be rich, and we're going to bless a nonprofit here. we we're, we'll tell you who that is shortly coming up, but we're just going to collect all that money. We're not keeping a dime of it, and we're just going to give it all away and say, man, go do your ministry. You are doing stuff that we could not possibly do, and we want to be a church that supports you, and we're giving you everything, okay? So they don't even know it yet, so it's going to be exciting. You're going to be a part of that. That's what generosity is all about. That's how we make a difference, transforming lives by helping people take next steps. You're all a part of that. Thank you so much for what you've been doing. We are a better church because of, and we are reaching this community. So thank you for that. Hey, if you are a guest here today, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Kim, George's going to be in the back. I'll be back there. We'd love to get you a little gift on the way out. It's got candy in it. You'll like it. And so we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week as we continue the Curse of Comfort. Have a great week.